Friends, our second lesson today is taken from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Well, one of my favorite movies of all time is Patton, right? Um, not the most Christian film, but there, is, uh, there are a number of great scenes, great quotes, and there's a little scene in there that I think represents a lot of how Christians often approach their faith. Take a look. Does Alexander know that you pushed out this far? That's a reconnaissance and force. George, are you telling me that I've got to slug it out over those mountains with heavy resistance just so you can make a bigger splash than Monty? General, I just follow my orders like the simple old soldier I am. General Bradley? Sir, uh, General Alexander's heard we're moving west. He says he'll stop immediately. Go no farther than Agrigento. Repeat. Stop immediately. That's what you think it says. I think it was garbled in transmission. Ask them to retransmit the message and take your time about it. That'll take half a day at least. Yes, sir. <laughs> See, I get complaints all the time from people who say, you know, the Bible's so hard to understand. The parables are so confusing. What I've come to understand is people like it that way. See, when it's confusing, you don't have to listen. So I didn't understand that. The people get more upset when it's clear. See, most folks run around and they're, they're like Patton, where Patton says, I'm just a simple old soldier following orders. People go, oh, I, I'm just a humble little Christian trying to do what Jesus wants me to do. Jesus said, do this. I think that was garbled in transmission. Could you ask him to, to retransmit it? Because when Jesus is plain, 
it becomes very hard to escape what Jesus says to do. And this is one of the weeks where Jesus is very plain. If you didn't understand that parable, you were trying not to understand that parable. And that's exactly why it's a very hard parable for people to accept. Because it asks us very clearly and very plainly to do something that we don't really want to do. See, it begins with Peter asking Jesus a simple question. How often should I forgive? And he says, as many as seven times. Uh, at the time, there was a rabbinic teaching. This is, I mean, whenever we get into what was historical 2,000 years ago, there's always some fuzziness, but there is uh, some evidence to indicate that rabbinic teaching at the time had put the number at four. How often should you forgive? Four. Very concrete teaching. And Peter understands that Jesus came to make things better. Jesus taught us to be more loving. Jesus taught us to be more expansive in the way we think. And so Peter's thinking, well, if the rule is four, well, we know Jesus is going to make it bigger. And so he's like, how much bigger? You know, seven? And then, of course, Jesus says, no. In our translation, it says 77 times. But if you were raised in the church, you probably learned it with an older translation that said 70 times 7. And the reason why we don't know really what it is, is because in the Greek, the number 70 just appears next to the word 7. So they weren't sure if it's like algebra, where if you see like A, B, it means A times B, or if it's a plus. We actually don't know. There was no arithmetic there. So we actually don't know that when the word 70 appeared next to the word 7, does it mean 70 times 7, or does it mean 77? And so the, the current translation that we're using uses 77, and it used to use 70 times 7, and it shouldn't matter to you what it is, because the whole point is that it was a really, really, really big number. Okay? The whole point was not that you would sit there and say, I really need to know. Do I get to turn around and deck them on the 78th time or the 491st time? That wasn't the point. It wasn't supposed to be thought of that way. This wasn't a legalistic number. It was just a big number. In fact, big numbers are a part of this passage. When Jesus starts to tell that parable about the unforgiving servant, that person was first forgiven a debt of 10,000 talents. Now that is a number that means basically nothing to you. It means nothing to us. And, but a talent, we're not sure exactly how much a talent is, but it's huge. Some estimates are that it's roughly 17 years wages for an average working person. So this would be 170,000 years worth of wages. But it's just a big number. In fact, to, as a piece of trivia, this was the largest number they could express with the language they had at the time. The, the largest word they had for an ordinal number that we know of was this word for 10,000 that actually comes into English as the word myriad. It stems from that word. You know, myriad, just an undefined large number. And the talent was the largest number, was the largest unit of currency that people ever talked about, a measure of money. So if someone said to you, what's the, what's the largest amount of money 
you could express. If a person could be as rich as they could be, how much money is that? You might, you know, come up with, sit there and say, oh, it might be a quadrillion dollars or something like that would come to your head as, as the biggest number that you would talk about, not literally. 10,000 talents is just the biggest amount of money that they had language for. It's not literal. It's just really, really, really big. The point of the story is that he had been forgiven a massive amount. Didn't appreciate it. And it leads to a question for us. It's one of the two questions that, that really makes us focus in on this issue of forgiveness. And the question is, how much do you need God's forgiveness? How important is it to you? To what extent do you truly feel the need to have your sins forgiven? Or do you just think, like most people, ah, it's not that bad. I know I'm not perfect. It's not that bad. I, I got caught up recently on Netflix with a show on NBC that started last year. The second season starts this week. It's called The Good Place. I don't know if any of you have been, have been watching The Good Place. It stars Kristen Bell and Ted Danson. The, uh, it's not Christian salvation theology, by the way. The idea is that you accumulate a, a certain number of points in your life. With You know, you get points for doing good things. You lose points for doing bad things. And if you have enough points, you get to go to The Good Place. And if you don't have enough points, you end up in the bad place. And the, the premise of the story is that Kristen Bell had not lived a virtuous life at all, but through an error has ended up in the good place. And so Ted Danson's like in charge of this, what they call a neighborhood, uh, and greets her in the opening episode and says, well, well, first I have to tell you you're dead. Uh, but the good news is you're, you're in the good place. And then later they find out she really was supposed to go to the bad place, and it all goes from there. But as he's describing the bad place and how awful the bad place is, she goes, wait a second. I, all right, I know I didn't live a very good life, so maybe I, I, I don't deserve to be in the good place. But I don't think I deserve to be in the bad place either. Isn't there a medium place? Because I, I think I deserve to, that's what I deserve. I kind of deserve to be in the medium place. I think a lot of us think that. If you were to put us uh, to the test and sit there and say, do you really deserve to be in heaven or do you really deserve to be in hell? I think our answer is, isn't there a middle? Isn't there a medium place that's, that's kind of good? Because we kind of think of ourselves and go, I, th I think I lived a life that was kind of good. Not, not heavenly angels harps good. Not fire and brimstone bad. Just kind of good. I think kind of deserve the, me the medium place. But the problem is that if you think of yourself as only have lived a life that required medium forgiveness, you start to think of God's love for you as medium. God's forgiveness of your sin, medium. And worse, you start to think that that's what you owe to other people. What I owe to someone else is just kind of medium. That is not how we're supposed to think. See, the crux of the story is, is in this little aside that's said to the servant when he doesn't forgive the person who owes him money. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? 
Did you not appreciate being forgiven 10,000 talents worth of debt? Did you not appreciate it? Obviously, you did not appreciate the magnitude of the debt you were forgiven. If you appreciated how much you were forgiven, you would have been more forgiving. If we only think that God owes us medium forgiveness, that's all we will be to other people. And that falls way short of what God wants for us. Now we're really distressed when in the parable this word shows up, tortured. We don't like tortured. Nobody likes it. Terrible word. It's frightening. It doesn't fit with our image of God that God would consign people to be tortured. But there's something about the way life works that I think this applies to, and it's, it points to the second truth that's behind this passage. The first being that, that we only respond to the extent that we believe we were shown forgiveness. And the second piece of it is that how we treat others ends up being inseparable from how we feel about ourselves. See, we all know that you can't really love someone else unless you love yourself, right? We learn that. You won't really forgive others if you don't feel forgiven yourself. When you appreciate the magnitude of the debt that you have been forgiven, that becomes the basis by which you treat someone else. Someone does something to you, and you realize, I've done worse to somebody else. That should mitigate your response to what happened. And ultimately, if you can't let it go, and by the way, that's what forgiveness means. All forgiveness means in the Greek, the, the word afiemi, its first translation is to let go. You let go what happened. You let it go, and that doesn't mean that you're invited to be a victim. Right? It's not an obligation. It's not forgive and forget. It's not go ahead, put yourself in the same position to be victimized as you were before. It's not a call to do that. It's a call to let go of what someone did to you before. It doesn't mean, you know, if they came to your house for dinner yesterday and stole all your, silver well, all your silverware, if you do invite them over for dinner again tomorrow, plastic. <laughs> okay? Dixieware, really, seriously. You don't have an obligation to, put, to go buy new silver and put it out. That's not what it's saying. But it is saying that you, go, don't, you don't go chasing into their house, breaking into their kitchen, and stealing your stuff back. Let it go. If you don't let it go, the person who's hurt is you. self-torturing. Guess what? If there's someone you haven't forgiven in your life, you know who's bothered? You. If there's someone who has done something to you and you have not been able to let it go, you have not been able to forgive what they did to you, I guarantee you they are not bothered. There's one person who's being bothered by it and it is you. And if you can't let it go, it will continue to torture you the rest of your days. And what that does 
is it locks you into the time of the offense. It locks you into what happened before. Letting go, forgiveness, lets you live in the future. Forgiveness allows you to start a day fresh. It allows you to start a day fresh in your relationships with others, and it allows you to start fresh yourself when you own the forgiveness that you have from God. I've dealt with folks in the church who continued to be tortured by things they had done, and they somehow believed God had not forgiven them. In fact, it was kind of an interesting thing, if you think about that, that you know, the future, the good place or whatever. The, the place that they were in, as I think about it, was kind of interesting. They were in a place where they believed that at some point God would forgive them. But they didn't own that they were forgiven now. And so it continued to hover over and haunt everything they did every single day. We have to understand that the forgiveness we were freely given by God has already been given. And we live our lives in the future, moving forward from it, trying, trying to start each day to do the best we can that day. And letting go of what we failed to do yesterday. Forgiveness is liberation. Forgiveness is freedom from being weighed down by what had happened before. Letting us move forward to be the people God created us to be. We were all created in the image of God. And we understand that when we do things God did not intend for us to do, we have marred that image, but we did not scar it permanently. It may have blurred the image for a time, but in God's forgiveness, we are free to start the day again as a new creation. A person created in the image of God, ready to move forward, to start again. Don't let the past continue to haunt your future. Let it go as God has let it go and be ready to move forward. Amen.